have you been? God damn it, I've missed you. Uh, hey, hey, it's it's me, it's your buddy, your pal, your host, Steve Bazalone, and this is, of course, Terribly Funny, the podcast where I talk to very funny people about genuinely terrible things that have happened to them. Um, man, we took a, a little while off there. I apologize for the delay. Uh, got slammed at work, and then I just wanted to get uh, a real, real solid season together for you. And boy, oh boy, we got some bangers. We got a great uh, season coming your way. I hope you're you're really gonna like it, and I think you will. And today we kick it all off with the lovely, the delightful, the effervescent, uh, very funny uh, actress Andre Vermeulen. What can I tell you about Andre? Well, you've seen her in a ton of shit. She was in NTSF, SD, SUV. She was in New Girl. She's been in uh, Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, uh, she plays Roughnut in the uh, How to Train Your Dragon uh, series, which, uh, man, uh, just one of my favorites. Uh, she's been in College Humor, The Birthday Boys, uh, Animals, uh, Superstore. But most recently and most frequently, you can see her on the TBS comedy, uh, Angie Tribeca. She plays Shoals. It's it's very funny. It's like a return to the Zucker Brothers. And if you've not seen it, check it out. It's goofy and delightful. It's uh, one of, you know, like uh, dumb dick jokes, but done well. And that is mwah, the sweet spot for me. Um, anyways, uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to talk about all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, we're going to hear about a, a terrible accident with a horse. Ooh. We're also going to talk about, you know, verbal abuse and physical abuse what those things are like. What it's like coming out on the other end. Is there catharsis? Is there healing? Do you become, uh, do you ever uh, come to grips with it? Does it make you a better person? We're gonna get into all that fun stuff. But before we do, uh, before we get to the things you came for, let me just say, uh, I've missed you guys. I really have. And there's so many people uh, that I still have yet to get back to uh, via email. People like Lauren and Caroline and Candace and Lena and Anne and Catherine, who I went to high school with and is a delight and I need to respond to all these people and I, I promise I shall. I, I miss you. You're all wonderful. Uh, Maria, Judith, Megan, uh, Lauren, Jordan, Susan, Lauren, Susie, Lexis, Tom, uh, 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 who do we have? Adam, Catherine, so many people. Thank you for reaching out. Um, I've gotten back to some of you, some of I have not, and I promise I will, because uh, your stories of kindness and humility and um, just uh, being overall super sweet bros is the whole reason I do this. So thank you for reaching out. If you want to reach out in the future, I genuinely love hearing from you. Please drop me a line at terriblyfunnypodcast at gmail. You can also check us out at terribly underscore funny on Twitter. Check us out at terriblyfunnypodcast on Instagram. We'll put a bunch of stuff up there, like pictures of my very attractive guests, sometimes a picture of my dog. You know, who knows? All sorts of fun shit's going to be up there. Um, and go to our, our iTunes page. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell your friends. Let's get this thing, uh, let's get it back started with, with, uh, with some, some vengeance, shall we? Great. We're done with that part. Now let's get to the thing that you came for, and that's to hear from not me, not the dumb idiot. Let's hear from the delightful Andre Vermeulen. Here we go, gang. Buckle up. Brand new season coming at you. So my parents trained racehorses when I was growing up. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So are you like a very, very much, are you an an excellent rider or is it just like, that was the family I'm not a great rider because I, everyone worked with horses. So I was like, fuck horses. You rebelled against that. Yeah. It was the family business. Yeah. Everyone. Your version of being punk. Yeah. Fuck horses. I was like, I'm going to do dance and singing. And I'm going to use all this glue. Yes. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, my dad, he was like French, Belgian, and he went to all these prestigious riding academies in France. You have to do here in America. If you buy insurance, you can teach riding lessons, Really, which is just so stupid. Yeah. And in France, you have to do an agricultural academy, a military academy, and then a third one. I don't know what it is, but he went to like, why the agricultural? I don't know, but it still has to do with horses. Right. So he's like really, he's like a horse whisperer. Yeah. And my mom worked with horses. She rode all growing up. And then when they met, he was training race horses, my dad, and my mom would help him. And there was this horse. So we lived in New Jersey and they were racing out of Mammoth, uh, Mammoth Park. Sure. And this horse broke its leg. Oh, no. And That's that is normally like you have to put the horse down. Lights out. My mom. You, why is that? Because it just, just takes so, so much energy, or it's so difficult to. I think fix? it's just so hard to heal. Yeah, because they and just then can't, they can't be on their... run the same again. And right. 
And it's not about the, just that they can't run the same. I mean, you could retire them, but I think it's just really hard to heal. A horse weighs so much, and right. those legs are so thin. And it's not like they're not an animal known for laying down and no. sitting a bunch. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure like exactly why, but it's usually, I think it just doesn't heal. Okay. And a horse, unlike a dog, can't really walk on yeah. three legs. Right. So my mom, who's like super animal person, mm-hmm. was like, I can fix him. I know I can. Mm-hmm. Let me try. And I don't know why, but they let her. Wow. And so she rehabilitated the horse. And successfully this in this like all of this is like close to your house or do you have like stables on your property or are they just close to our house there's the owners are the rich people sure so who, i don't know who owned the horse well the owners are always like i want a side hobby it's mm-hmm. like i'm in the yachts now i guess yeah. yeah so the owners you know were like sure go ahead try and mm-hmm. fix our horse so my mom successfully rehabilitated the horse i don't know exactly how she did it that part of the story is not in my memory. That's fine. Um, that's for another episode. Mm-hmm. I'll do a podcast about horses. Horses. There's got to be one. <laughs> I'm sure it's really exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she had rehabilitated the horse, and it was the first time my dad was going to work with him. Mm-hmm. And the horse was like a little skittish, and my mom really knew the temperament well. And sure. there's a thing that you can put, so, you know, they have the halter on which is the thing that goes around the head and then there was like a chain that you can you know the lead rope sometimes there's a chain at the end of it and you can sort of loop the chain over the nose of the horse Mm -hmm. and it does something i don't know some sort of calming with discipline and and if they're throwing their head a lot and my dad was going to put this I i think it's called a shank i'm not entirely sure but my dad was going to put it over the horse's nose sure. to his uh, halter. And my mom was like, do not do that. The horse will freak out. And mm-hmm. my dad didn't listen. And Classic dad move. Yeah. And he normally would listen to her. But for some reason, he just didn't. He was in a bad mood. And he was just like, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. And he put that on the horse's nose Mm -hmm. and the horse immediately freaked out and so we're and I'm little I must be like three oh boy and we're standing my mom and I are standing on the other side of the fence he's in the paddock like a training ring right and he's in the middle with the horse and he puts the thing on the horse the horse rears up and flips over backwards oof And when he flips over backwards, he comes flying down and his head smashes the ground and lands like right at our feet on the other side of the fence. And he cracked his skull. Oh, no. And so he was dying. And that's like my first memory is so the horse was like at our feet. And he's, I just remember he was breathing like really intensely and there was blood coming out of his ears oh. and my mom is crying and my dad just went, shit, and he threw yeah, the thing that's down. that's exaccurate. And my mom is crying and I don't understand what's happening and she had to like explain to me that the horse is dead. Yeah, I just don't understand death really in that, no. that period. No, and I was like, but his body's breathing. Uh-huh. And apparently the vet came and said, you know, even though the body was breathing, when the skull cracked, it, it's a thing where it's like, you know, we can't feel right. anything. And it's oh. like the body is just sort of slowing down. Right. Oh, God. So that was my first memory is this horse. That is, that's the first thing you remember. Cracking his skull open. Jesus Christ. I remember one of my first memories is tumbling down some stairs. Oh. But then my mom caught me. And yeah. I have another first memory of like playing Ring Around the Rosie in like a creek. Uh-huh. Those are fine. It's not a horse just like violently dying, especially yeah. after your mom worked months to rehabilitate no. it. Man, she must have been furious at your dad. She was so sad. Yeah. And then he apologized profusely. And he told her that she was right. Because he was normally the one who knew more. Mm-hmm. But he did admit to her like... He went to an agricultural school in France. Yes. Yeah, he was real fucking smart. <laughs> and a military. And a military school. Yeah. So well, that was... What does that do for you moving... I mean, did you... Was that like one of those things where you like... Only when you had to think about what your first memory was? Or is that like... That's always kind of a kernel there of like... 
Oh, and this is the now. This is the 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 uh, the filter with which I view everything for the rest of my life. That anything can die very violently at any point in time. I don't think so. I mean, I I think I was just asked one time what my first memory was, and that's like as far as I can think back. Um, I have a nice other like first memory is like I remember I was like walking down the hallway singing. Oh, oh sure. When you used Yeah, my dad was like, I'll dance with you, pumpkin. And I was like, Dad, it's just a song. <laughs> you kill horses. Get away from me. Yeah. This is for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a better one. That's a better one. That's when you're like a little sass. I was like a little, a little sass older. monster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I don't think it affects me. Other than there are so many times where I do imagine... Uh, what if my well I do it with people too like oh god what if so and so died I do that a lot I don't know maybe that's part of it if, what if so and so if like somebody in your life died yeah like it's like thinking about like what would that how would that affect me how would that change my life moving forward those kinds of things yeah like my dog had to get 10 teeth pulled recently oh, that's a fuck ton of teeth I know and oh, they put him to man. sleep and I kept being like what if he doesn't wake up yeah well that's and I always... just imagine like oh god well, it won't be any more Archie. Yeah, that's always scary when you have to put a dog under anesthesia. Even if it's yeah, they're pretty good with it because yeah, they're tiny and you, you can't. They can't. Know. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you uh, any other uh, uh, you know terrible shit you'd like to get into, or you want to just stay on the uh, you know killing of animals? Oh, there's so many terrible things. Um, I never thought anything in my life was terrible until. I guess until therapy, and I had to acknowledge that they were bad. Well, that's a good perspective. Is that you think that was uh, preservation and just like, uh, of just like, no, everything is fine, everything is manageable, and only when you, and with perspective and hindsight, you're able to see like, oh, that was uh, destructive, or I guess so. Like optimism. Here's the timeline. Mm -hmm. So my parents moved to. Florida. Sure. My dad got a job at the Miami racetrack. Mm-hmm. And we lived with a jockey named Tino. Oh, boy. Tino had a very terrible thing happen to him. He had his head crushed in a race. His oh, horse God. went down and he got trampled. And he lost his long-term memory. There was just, like, pockets of it. Oh, no. So he would sort of remember who people were, but not any details. And so we stayed with him. Thank God, I guess he remembered my parents. And he was supposed to drive me to school every day, and he would, he was just like out of it. He was lovely, but he would forget yeah, his every head got day. Crushed. What is it with you and people getting head crushed? I don't know. <laughs> you got that thing with skulls <laughs> just getting ripped life. open. So, um, and my dad at the time, he had a drinking problem, but I mean, how could you not? In Europe, they like start drinking at like fourteen. Yeah, and also just like that culture of racing and horses is not known for being chased. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a little drinking problem, and my mom decided to leave him. Mm-hmm. And it was like how old are you? Seven. Okay. I had just turned seven. Sure. And it was just before Christmas, and my mom decided. I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Just by the goodbye, it was, like, too sad. Mm-hmm. But my mom just told me that we were going to my grandma's for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But my dad wasn't coming. Sure. So we just went to my grandma's for Christmas and never came back. Oh, wow. And they didn't tell me what was going on. And my mom had this brilliant idea, which she's apologized for now. But she said that she didn't... She wasn't going to tell me what was going on until I asked. Which is too young for a seven-year-old... You, that's too young for yeah. a child of that age to be like, hey, I noticed something's wrong here. Uh, What's pardon me, going mother. On? I recognize we're not going home. And we haven't seen father for many days. Yeah. Like, that's not a conversation you're going to have. No. And I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I don't know if I thought it was like temporary or what. But after two years, I was like, where's dad? Yeah. Wow. That's, well, you got there eventually. And then she let me talk to him. So you didn't see him at all for two years? No. Oh, wow. So they must have really been on the outs. They must have had a ton of problems. They yeah, were and he him. was like really annoyed and apparently um, he said that he had been trying to call and she wouldn't let him talk to me. I don't know if that's true or right, not. Right, right. You never know whose side is true. Yeah. Um, and then 
I went to see him, and I and then I was like nervous to see him because I like forgot what my dad was like. Well, that's a, a good portion of your life from seven to nine. Yeah, and that's also previous to that. You don't have a ton of memories like before five. No, and I was like the new kid at school. And when I was seven, like immediately, we moved to Pennsylvania. And immediately when I got there, I'm already in the new kid at school. I broke my leg. I cracked my entire shin. Oof. And I had a cast from my toe to my hip. Oh, Jesus. So I was like the new kid with the cast. Yeah. Very um, cool. My cousins and I were doing like running slides on the carpet. And my mom was like, stop doing that. Yeah. And I did one more. Mm-hmm. And my one leg got stuck and the other one kept going and then I landed on it and it was like a very loud crack. And then I was like, oh, and I was crying and she's like, I told you not to do that. And she's like, get on the couch. And I stood on it. Oh no. And it spun around and I fell to the ground. So that made it a spiral fracture. Oh. It was really terrible. So that was a, that was a terrible thing that happened. And then aside from my dad being absent. Sure. And then... So then I started seeing my dad, but my mom just had this string of awful boyfriends on top of, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to tell this properly. There were many terrible things happening at one time. Mm -hmm. We moved in with my great grandmother. This is in Pennsylvania. Yes. Okay. Whereabouts? Stroudsburg. Oh, sure. Who, this is the house that my mom actually grew up in because when her mother divorced her father, she came back and moved in with my great-grandmother. Well, at least it's a trend. Yes. They're consistent. So it's like, you know, staying in my uncle's old room. Mm-hmm. And Are you looking forward to going back there at some point? <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, they actually sold the house. That's another trend. Well, you're safe now. Um, but, yeah, we were living with my great-grandmother, and I don't know what it, she's like was just mean. Mm-hmm. Like, so mean. And she grew up... She survived the depression. Sure. Both and wars, she probably. was like the type of person who had all of this food and would pack it away as if another war or depression were I, going to I happen. I get it, man. She like never got over it, mm-hmm. which I've heard people don't when they live through the depression. And she, so I'm like seven when we first moved there. My mom was like cleaning houses and working all day. And I was alone. I would come home from school my great-grandmother, I just call her my grandma, would make like a full made-from-scratch meal mm-hmm. every night for her and my grandpa and would not give me any. What? As a child. Why? I don't know. And she would be like, if your mother were here, she would give you food. And I was like, that's so crazy. She's working. I know. It's not like she's out drinking and fucking no. off. She's not at the movies. No. And so, and my mom was always poor then. So, like, we didn't have a ton of food. We wouldn't have, like, amazing snacks. We'd have basics. Mm-hmm. I remember one time, like, one week my mom got extra money and we went to the grocery store and she's like, you can have anything you want this mm-hmm. week. And I actually couldn't think of anything other than chicken or spaghetti because sure. I hadn't had it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. Pickles? I always wanted pickles. Oh, wow. Those were too expensive. I have a theory of people say that they grew up poor. I always ask them if they had pickles in Mm -hmm. their fridge. That's that's like the metric of how how poverty works. Because pickles are like kind of expensive and Mm -hmm. they're not nourishing really. They're like an extra. It's a garnish. It's a garnish. It's not necessary. Mm -hmm. So if you could have pickles then you weren't that poor there's so many levels of poor there are people who are poorer than i was too oh sure you know like my clothes weren't dirty or anything Mm -hmm. and i had family members who would get me you know new shoes and new clothes and stuff so i was okay but yeah she wouldn't give me any food and then my mom ended up and you're an only child as well right I'm what? You're an only child? Yeah. Hey. All right. Yeah. Me too, but... Thank God. Yeah. Imagine if there were two of us going through that. Mm-hmm. Actually, we might have really gotten into some great adventures. Yeah, maybe. But I, my mom installed like this little mini kitchen in this walk-in closet on the one side of the house. There was like the living room, mm-hmm. and it had a door separating the TV room and the kitchen and stuff of my grandma's side. So my mom had her side, and my grandma had her side, and then upstairs all the rooms were together. But um, she installed this little mini kitchen, so we had a little mini fridge, but there wasn't always, like, stuff in it. 
So I would sneak across my grandma's living room and I remember like I would steal food and I, I would like hold like I remember having like a chicken breast under my arm and like walking through the living room to go by her and then I'd rejoice on the other side like I made it and oh, then yeah. I would cook what I it was almost like I was a hunter Wait, this was a raw chicken breast yes you would just put it a raw chicken breast under your arm yeah I mean it was in plastic sure sure yeah and I would Jesus. get to the other side with my goods and I would cook for myself but that's nuts that you had to be Oliver Twist like in your <laughs> grandmother's house and then she would humiliate me in front of the family and be like well someone's been eating my food because of course she knew because she counted everything well also who else is going to have would have taken it yes yeah and then she would bake cookies and hide them so then i became it's no no mystery as to why i became a fat kid Mm -hmm. so she would bake cookies and hide them and then so i would find them and eat as many as possible sure because I, who knows when you're going to find them again. Well, yeah, like if, well, when something is made like a forbidden thing, when you get it. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's like, I remember when I first went to college, like the kids who had no freedom at all in high school growing up, at college they were like, nah, all the drugs, stay up all night. Yeah. Whereas like I could do whatever I want, so I was like, I want to take my studies seriously. Yes. That's not like the best metaphor, but it's like if you... If it's kept a forbidden thing from you, then yeah. when you get it, you're going to fucking shove your, shove your face. Yeah. Shove your face? Stuff your face. Stuff your face. I've read studies that, like, kids who have houses with just candy out, mm-hmm. and they are told they can have as much candy as they want, they actually don't eat it. Yeah. But kids who are a no-candy household, they go insane. Sure. They go to a friend's house or something. Yeah. So when I have a kid, I'm going to have candy bowls everywhere. But Just everywhere. Just as a pillow. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on top of it, so then like a few years later, my mom, who had already had terrible taste in boyfriends leading up to this, mm-hmm. ends up dating a domestically abusive guy. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Who... This doesn't feel like a so, step up from dad. No. I mean, yeah. my dad was like super loving and nice. Mm-hmm. He just had a drinking problem. Sure. So, like my dad was like super respectful and my mom was just telling me like yesterday how when they would go out in public he would say to other people constantly like how beautiful my mom is which Hmm. most men don't do that and just like very complimentary and affectionate and sweet and nice he just drank too much at the time that's a problem he did quit later but then he died of cancer anyway so um but, yeah, so she started dating this domestically abusive guy. And the tricky thing is, like, he at first was the only boyfriend I liked. Mm. They're very charming, often, people who are actually abusive. You have to be. Are the most charming. Yeah. And it's the... To this day, I've never been so tricked, mm. I think, in my life. I felt so just betrayed and sort of... I couldn't believe it. I was so mad that I liked him at first. Yeah. But he was extremely violent, and that was like five or six years of my life, and that's when I got really fat. So what, this is like high school or middle school? Middle school. Well, that also makes sense, because that's also like your hormones are in overdrive, so it's, yeah. it's creating but a I ton was of like everything. legit eating all of my feelings. Sure. And I would come home, and he was like super into like tasty cakes and like mm-hmm. little debbies, and I would just eat like a box of them. Wow. And then he would be mad that I ate them. But I mean, I was already used to that with my mm-hmm. grandma. Sure. So it's like, like, I don't care, man. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, but that was really terrible, and I could never have friends over because he raged several nights a week. He would just come home and go into a violent rage, just screaming and breaking things. And I so often would sit upstairs in my room and it was always night and I would have I had a f- landline in my room and I would sit with my fingers on nine and one just like waiting until the sounds because th- this is so awful but there's like you can hear the difference between things breaking right. and like people sure. being hit so cops don't care mm-hmm. no if things are broken no just keep it inside so I would just wait until it sounded like, and he normally didn't touch her. He would just destroy everything in the house and scream and rage. And, and um, you know, we moved at one point, we moved to a house, but we'd always have to move because he would break everything and the mm-hmm. neighbors would complain. And like, I remember one Christmas he like 
completely destroyed the tree. He like knocked it over and broke all the stuff. And then he was like kicking the screen door and like, it was just really insane. He was like a really violent, insane person. When you live in something like that for so long, is there ever, I mean, clearly doesn't sound like if you're holding the phone ready to call and in an emergency, but is there like, is there a point where like this becomes to some degree normalized? Like, well, this is just reality. This is just what yeah. he does. And I or think are you just it, constantly terrified? I think it's both. When the raging is happening, you're terrified. Mm-hmm. But it's also just, I don't know. And I would think recently I was thinking back like, God, and no one could help us. My mom wouldn't get out of it, but also you know, that dynamic is so complicated. You can't blame the person who is being abused. Sure. Most times when women die, it's when they try and leave. Yeah. And I remember like, he normally would never hit her, but the one time she tried to leave, I remember I was like upstairs in the bathroom and the window looked down onto the driveway in the backyard and she was trying to leave side note without me. I realize now, like, but you know, grandma's there. Oh, wait, this is grandma's house? Still grandma's house, yeah. So this guy's in grandma's house? Yeah. And grandma's doing doing this. Grandma was like a, seems like a very old lady. But she seems like somebody who's not afraid. Well, she couldn't do anything. Yeah. Her husband. But she just turned a blind eye to this shit? She would try and be like, there was a couple times I think where she was like, stop, this is my house, but it didn't, no. And I remember she went to leave and he, she's going to her car and he said something to her and she turned around and he just backhanded her with his fist. And she, this is actually like one of those horrible things that's very funny. Sure. But she, she went, ah! She like screamed Mm -hmm. and her leg shot up straight into a 90 degree angle. And then she just fell straight down, like in a sitting position with Mm -hmm. her legs out, like a cartoon, Uh which was so insanely visually funny. Yeah. You just turned into a cartoon. That was a terrible thing. Weird. And then I called the cops and then the cops came and like when he hit her, I think he was like surprised himself. And I saw him like the last thing I saw was like he went down on the ground. and was like, oh, like I think he couldn't believe what he did. Right. And then the cops came and then she said he didn't hit her. And then I as like, a, I don't know, I must have been like 12 or 13. I have no idea. I was like, what? I just yeah. felt like I was in the twilight zone. I was like, I saw him hit you. And did she's you, like, no, he didn't. Did I'm you dreading. feel betrayed? Yes. She's like, motherfucker, I'm trying to help you. Yeah. And I was like, because that's the thing that could make him go away in a Mm -hmm. safe way. He would be in jail Mm -hmm. and he can't get us because we would have to stay in safe houses all the time. We would leave and there's a thing called a safe house where it's like no one is allowed to say what the location is. And it's like got iron doors and from the outside you can't tell. Looks like a normal house, but everything's reinforced and there are all these women and children who have escaped and it's through women's resources and yeah it was so crazy and then finally and I remember like I have like a really I hate my birthday so much Mm -hmm. like every year my mom was like well I think something terrible happened every year on your birthday and I was like oh yeah and a lot of it was because of this guy and I remember like one birthday I decided to have a sleepover. It's all I ever wanted. I never had This is still at grandma's house? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. And <laughs> no I was cookies like, for anybody. You have to let him no cookies. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure he doesn't rage. But there's no way she could have controlled yeah. him. And I had friends over and we're like in grandma's living room and he comes home and goes into an insane Rage. What was the root of this anger? Was there anything logical? My therapist says it's like a narcissist-based thing. So it's like it was my birthday. I had friends over, so the focus he was not getting on attention. him. Mm-hmm. But that's so crazy to me. Yeah. I can't wrap my mind around that. But he did it all the time. When was was the attention constantly not on him? I don't know. Or he just wanted attention. I don't attention. understand it. Mm. It. I guess there's not a rational way of like justifying someone breaking shit all the time and hurting people. No. And I don't think even they know why they do it unless they really work on themselves. It's so weird to me. Mm -hmm. Even to this day, if anyone's 
reaction to something is angry, I'm still like, and I'll, if I know the person well enough, I will be like, why is that the reaction? Yeah. You're not angry. What is actually... What's your embarrassment, right? Yeah. Isn't that a lot of where anger comes from? Yeah. I feel like um, I am the kind of person who uh, my default reaction to like some sort of you know, betrayal or the things that would send you down that road is always hurt instead of anger. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what that says necessarily, but I feel like anger is just masking shit. Yeah. Whereas it says that your parents allowed boys to have feelings. Cause most I think so. young my men mom for sure. in this country are raised not to have feelings yeah. or to be sensitive. And then that's why they are, like 98% of the shooters yeah. in mass shootings. Yeah. So they just explode. It's nuts. Um, I completely interrupted you. Sleepover. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he raged. I think now, like, God, those little girls must have been terrified. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but it's, it's also a weird thing when you're younger, where, like, you go to somebody's house and you just be fucking stuck there. And I remember, like, yeah. having weird experiences with somebody else's parents. Like, looking back, I remember one time a friend's parent came home, a dad came home, and he had to have been, like, coked out of his mind because he was so, being so fucking weird, but we thought it was funny. Yeah. But, like, looking back, I was like, that's a very unhealthy thing for, like, a 12-year-old to be in. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, and then, um, luckily that ended, uh, he, like, cheated on her, of course. Of course, of course. Well, because she was too afraid to. I'm sure she would have loved to. Yeah. Do you talk about that? Have you talked about that now? Does she feel like contrite? Or she was like, that was just a very tough time and I didn't know what to do. Is there like a certain level of guilt or is it just like an acceptance of like, I was doing the best I could? Um, I think both. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know what to do. So she's working all the time and trying to take care of you. Yeah. She was like a house cleaner, an aerobic instructor, mm-hmm. just all those odd jobs. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. And it, and when, like, what could you do? My dad didn't come down and save us. Sure. No one in my family could, like, save us. Honestly, there's nothing you can do unless you, like, kill the guy. Mm-hmm. Truly. Or yeah. put him in jail. Yeah. So it's like, this is not a movie. Some person isn't going to come along and just, like, shoot him Mm -hmm. or take him away. The cops definitely don't. I mean, it's just so crazy that you have to physically hurt someone. Mm -hmm. Before you're, like, assessed a real threat or a real danger. Yeah. Yeah. And that the person who's been hurt has to say in front of that person, yes, he did. Because that's scary, too. People just don't understand. Because if it doesn't work out, if they don't go away, then you've made things exponentially worse. Yeah. People just don't understand domestic violence. It's not as black and white as that. And so people stay stuck in it. Yeah. Because it's terrifying if you try and leave. Like I said, most people die trying to leave. Yeah, well, beyond just the fear of the, the the partner and the abusive part of it, it's also, like, oftentimes it's, like, logistically, like, my life is tied up here. Yeah. Like, you know, what you're talking about, like, my mom was very active in, like, uh, women's shelters, you know, throughout my childhood. And it was, like, a lot of it was just, like, women who would leave would leave and like great they're in a safer position but now they have no money or resources to go anywhere right Um, because a lot of times they were made to not be enter the workforce or made Mm -hmm. to not be like contributing because somehow that fucking did something to the 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 frail masculinity of whoever was keeping them you know well an abuser typically isolates you Mm -hmm. so that you and they make you feel like you're crazy like, you're too sensitive. This isn't bad. Right. And if you don't have perspective. You made me do it. You made me mad. Woof. And so they cut you off from friends. They often, yes, cut you off from any sort of social life you could have, workplace, or just, you know, friends. And then you're just sort of stuck in your own mind and you're like, am I making it up? Yeah. Because you don't have a mirror. Oh, I guess I made him mad. Yeah. Unless you have, like, a 12-year-old being like, Mom, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. 
but that's even, even that's even commendable for you because you're in the same position. You could have just as easily been like, maybe we just have to keep this guy happy. That's our reality now. Yeah, which I think I did both. Right. How was that, like, going through that at such a young age affected you moving forward, like, in terms of relationships or in terms of just, like, processing anger? Are you afraid of it or...? Yeah, I think I have been really afraid of confrontation. Mm -hmm. To this day, it is extremely hard for me to assertively state something. Right. And sometimes I might overdo it. Right, because I'm overcorrecting. Mm-hmm. used to it. Um, I don't yell or anything, but like I might like say a statement like too firmly if right. I'm trying to assert myself. I think, I mean, I've been in so much therapy at this point that sure. from where I'm sitting currently, it doesn't affect me too greatly, aside from like confrontation still sort of makes my stomach turn, mm-hmm. but I'll... I'm more likely to do it if it, I have to. Yeah. Um, and I think for a while I just really hated men. Sure. That seems reasonable. Yeah. And then, like, you know, I was also, I was so overweight. I was, like, almost 200 pounds. I'm oh only, boy. like, 5'4". Yeah. And then I, like, lost weight going into high school and then throughout high school. So by the time I was a junior, senior, I was very thin. But that, and then like suddenly guys liked me. Yeah. And then I was, had an extra level of like, oh, fuck you. Like you didn't like me then. Mm-hmm. I'm the same person now. So that's just reinforcing like men are fucking garbage. Yeah. So Shallow had, like, monsters. Definitely issues with men and then uh i mean not all men i had guys who were friends who were super lovely um i had i had guy friends in high school who were like my best friends but they were very sweet right and i don't know um yeah but i don't know i think it's also like a lot of um waiting for the other shoe to drop right and then I did end up in, in like another emotionally abusive relationship when I was like in my twenties and I think I couldn't see it at the time. I hadn't had really a lot of therapy and between like that guy and then my family can mm-hmm. also not be the greatest emotionally. Sure. Like they're not violent in any way, but just... They're not communicative. Yes. Yeah. And you know, if people are mad at you you don't talk about it mm-hmm. and then when they're not mad at you they t- they talk to you again and that's how you know right. but no one talks about it right and then a lot of like put downs and just sort of overall sniping passive yeah. aggressive nonsense and you know if you say anything then you are the problem child right and you're just causing trouble so that wasn't very helpful and then in that relationship I you know and when you come up in a First of all, I was fat, so mm-hmm. I had body image issues sure. completely. Then I was in a family that wasn't too complimentary mm-hmm. or, yeah. Would, just would moralize like, you taking food to eat, yeah. like not even like... <laughs> and I had extreme food issues. Mm-hmm. And then I got in this relationship where I didn't know that he was like emotionally abusive. I feel like that word is very charged because it's so subtle, emotional abuse. Well, there's so many different way, ways that that can manifest itself, right? Yeah. Like, if people listening to this, you can Google, like, um, signs of emotional abuse. And there's something that comes up where there's, like, 30 things. Mm. And they are all so subtle right. that you could so easily be like, oh, God, I didn't even know that was... Right. So I was in a not a great relationship. And then that person convinced me to get breast implants. Oh. Yes. Sure. And I was like, at the time, I didn't love myself enough. So I was like, yeah, my breasts are inadequate. And I just began to, and that, you know, it started very subtly, like constantly commenting on my body. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who also dated this person. And she said that one time, you know, she had just gotten out of the shower and she was feeling sassy. Mm -hmm. And she was like prancing through the apartment naked. Sure, as you do. And she said, you know, 
how would you rate my body on a scale of one to 10? First of all, that's an indication of the relationship because you wouldn't ask that unless yeah. you're... You're looking for validation. You're looking for like, I feel good right now. Can you please mirror that? Yes. Yeah. And this person said, mm, maybe a six because you just ate. So that's Oof. like a little insight into how this person was. And things like, you know, people in my family have said to me, you know, I was visiting home and I had some pants on. And then the next day I had a different pair of pants on. And one of my family members said like, oh, the other pants make you look thinner. Uh-huh. And I was like. Why are you? Why? why? You? Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, that's a compliment. And I'm is like, it? in what world is that a compliment? It's a very backward compliment. So you're saying the pants I'm wearing now don't make me look right. Yes. You're so focusing on the negative. I was negative. already used to a world of that. And then this guy was like more of that. And So those seeds were planted and they, that was a reality that you were used to and not knowing how to like say yes. no to that. Yeah. Or even recognize that it's unhealthy. Right. Yeah. And so when I was with him, I got like insanely thin in a very unhealthy way. Right. And I remember he was like out here in LA for a few months and I was living in New York and I had this fucked up thing of like, oh, this person's not going to see me for a few months. Next time they see me, I'm going to be so thin, Right. which is really fucked up. Yeah. And so I came out to visit and I'll never forget. He said, um, wow, imagine that body, but with boobs. Oof. And I was like, come on, give me a win. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I and got I mean, the win that was already unhealthy reason to do it in the first place. But, yeah. Uh, so I got the breast implants. Did that feel at the time? Did you like, oh, this will be good. This will make me, I'll feel more confident or, or are you just purely just trying to satiate him? I think it was both because you get a little brainwashed and right. you do think that you need them. Right. Um, if I had had more therapy, mm -hmm. I would have been like, what? Go mm -hmm. fuck yourself. Yeah, sure. Don't say that to me. Yeah. How dare you comment if on I, my body? If for some reason I arrive at that conclusion purely on my own. Yeah. Fine. But don't put, Great. That, don't put your shit on me, man. No, because I had never in life thought that I wanted breast implants. Sure. I don't think it's a thing that it's a lot of people do. It's not aesthetically my thing. Mm hmm when I see pictures now, because I've had them removed since, mm -hmm. when I see pictures of those, like, there was, like, I think I had them for, like, five years. I'm like, oh, my God, that looks so weird. Like, yeah. I don't have a big frame. It's not that you need a big frame, but they really stand out to me. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I got those things. My body just rejected them, maybe because I didn't want them. Right. I had to have a second surgery because they, like, didn't sit right. They looked so weird. Ugh. And then... And that's really hard on your body, man. Oh, my God. So hard. And then they still weren't right for, like, five years. They looked weird. And then I didn't know... You know, when the surgeon first did this, the, the first surgery, she did say that my chest muscles were so insanely thick. Oh. Well, that's good. She said she's never seen chest muscles that thick. And I was like, okay, I don't do push-ups or anything. I no. think I just weighted tables and babysat. Right. So you just use your chest muscles. Yeah. And my chest muscles had, you know, they cut them to yeah. put the things under. Oof. And they had grown back because my body was like, no, no, no. Uh, so it was like making the boobs look really weird. So she cut them again and I didn't know to what extent. So then like fast forward five years and the surgeon who was going to take them out said that Almost my entire chest was detached. Oh, God. There was just like maybe, what is this, uh, two inches uh -huh. of chest muscle from like going like right under my clavicle, like right under your shoulder, from the top of my rib cage attached to my shoulder. And the rest was cut and rolled back and sutured, like sewed like a little mm. cannoli. And so she had to like undo that so stretch. Were you, did you have a lot of mobility problems? I ended up having a rotator cuff injury because oh, your body God. just shouldn't. Yeah. Your body needs the chest muscles to balance you. You're overcompensating you. so much. That's yeah. Fucking up this. And then I like started doing workouts with like push-ups and stuff. And I, you know, the old surgeon had said you should never do a push-up, but that was like five years ago. So I didn't really remember. Right. I didn't know why. So it was really stressful on my body and then the implants got hard and like were really high Like I looked like a weird Barbie doll. So I was like I gotta get these things out 
and I had them removed, which was 15 times worse than having them in because in your breast, and this is so gross, but they make like a pocket mm -hmm. for the implant to sit in and that becomes scar tissue and then there's just like this hole. Oh, so that's gotta heal. Well, they have to rip the pocket out. So they have to rip up all the scar tissue, which disrupts all the fat tissues and whatever Jesus. around you. And I was just looking the other day and you know, you wake up and you have these like bags hanging off of you that are like fluid drain bags yeah, but I had my I think those things are fascinating because I had one when I had my so colon disgusting. removed disgusting it's so fucking weird I thought the weirdest thing I don't know if it was the same for you that they like after three days they just or two days they just pulled it out and then yeah. stitched or anything it's like it'll heal up it's like what that was so far inside my body you just yanked it out and yeah. then it's just that's it I'm like uh huh so crazy it's very weird but yeah it was really um insane and was that cathartic to do that? Was like, this yeah. is the end of this bullshit. I am doing something for me now. Yeah, I just had done so much work on myself. And I was like, God, this is the last piece that like doesn't feel like me. And I need to reclaim my body and myself. Yeah, man. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I told the surgeon that I wanted to keep the implants. Mm-hmm. Just as an artist and a creative person, I was like, I'll do something with them, whether it's storytelling and I like visually pull them out on stage. They look so insane. Or just even just as like a trophy, like look how far I've come. I was, yeah. I did this unhealthy thing and now I've ex exercised it quite literally for yeah. my whole persona. But I, um, I kept them, but like right after the surgery, my body was in so much trauma that I just saw a picture the other day. I had forgotten about it. It was like in an email or something. And my breasts like seized up like the tissue seized mm. up and it looked like almost like a shark had bitten me oh, and I like freaked out and I went back into the surgeon I was like what's going on and she's like just the tissues are all seizing up yeah. they've been in, under so much trauma and she just like taped down and everything went back to normal thank god but it's just so crazy like how intense and um, yeah, and then, you know, everything healed up fine. But then um, the implants, I was like, my friend sent me this thing. She said, there's this museum of broken relationships. And they had yeah. it in Europe. And yeah. it's, like, really popular. And it's coming here. And I was like, oh, my God, that would be a great send-off for these <clears throat> things. So I submitted them. They accepted it. And my implants were, like, on display in the oh, museum. Wow. And then you write a little blurb. It, it's an anonymous donation, sure. so it doesn't have my name, doesn't have my ex's name, mm -hmm. but you like tell the story of it. Um, so that was their final resting place. That's got to be feel uh, uh, very cathartic and very yeah. like um, what a great like kind of celebration of like a terrible thing, a way yeah. to like, reclaim it, yeah. and like also to some uh, I guess celebrate how much you've grown yeah. a little bit. But even so, like, even like, like almost a year after I submitted those, I still hadn't publicly told the story because mm. there's so much shame around it. For sure. I get that. And fear of judgment and, and also fear of my ex. Like if he found yeah. out and he's like, why are you telling this story? And it's that thing of like, you made me do it again. Mm -hmm. Sort of like, I didn't tell you to get those. Right. It's just like a real mind fuck. Yeah. Um, a lot of gaslighting, which is a term I only learned like a couple years ago. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. That's what I, that's what was happening to me. No. Um, but yeah. And when I decided to share publicly, I was like, really, I remember I did an Instagram post where I sort of revealed my identity mm -hmm. with the implants. And I remember hitting like post or whatever, send or whatever it is. And I thought I was going to throw up. I was like yeah, so man. scared. It's very vulnerable. And it's also, it's very vulnerable. And it's also, you're, you're reclaiming that as just you. Yeah. And it, it separating yourself from what used to be. Right. Yeah. And also worried about like getting back into that, having to deal with that conflict. And also like conflict seems to be a, a thing. Yes. So yeah, I get that, man. Luckily the response, so many women were like, thank you for sharing this. Sure. I've done it in storytelling and there was one woman who like left and had to go to the bathroom and cry mm -hmm. because whenever I share the story, my main thing is like, yes, that guy was kind of shitty, but the main issue is like, 
I had a broken relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. If I were the person that I am today and I had met him and he had said the things that he had said, they would not affect me in that same way. And I didn't love myself enough. Yeah. And we, women in general, especially physically, we don't love ourselves enough. And things in the media and everything are just designed to tell us we're not enough. Mm -hmm. We're not thin enough. We're not fit enough. We're not curvy enough. We're not whatever the thing is. And we believe it. And it's just so sad if we, if we learn to love ourselves right now in this very moment, not like I'm going to love myself when I lose 10 pounds, love yourself right now. And the great, if you honestly, studies have shown, I can't cite them, but when you love yourself right now, oftentimes you end up sort of like getting more towards the goal you wanted to anyway. I'm trying not to focus on weight loss as you can maybe tell, but because a lot of our self-hatred ends up feeding into, I don't know, like your mindset does affect your body. For sure. And if you hate yourself and you hate your body, then you end up like binge eating and doing whatever else and you just carry emotional weight. Well, just moralizing things like that make it so much more difficult and you're like never escaping it and you're never going to feel enough because you're moralizing a thing that you need to live. Yeah. Um, You're turning... You're, you're adding additional pressure that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. But if we all focus on feeling good, if you exercise, exercise to feel good. Sure. When you eat, eat things that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And if you're sad, be sad and try not to be sad through other things, whether it's like drugs or yeah. cigarettes or food or sex or whatever it is, like just feel the feelings. Yeah, man. I think... Um... I, I think that is incredibly astute advice. Um, yeah, but think, it's hard to feel the feelings. Well, yeah, because we spend so weird kind of conditioned to avoid that. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason why, like, one of you ever asked somebody, like, you know, the knee-jerk reaction, how are you? And, and it just, you got to say fine. And if you get another response, you're like, oh, no, I was not on board for this. this yeah. was, I was being polite. This was like our social yeah. currency. You fucked it up. You tell me a real feeling? I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to feel real things. Yeah. I spend so much time avoiding that, then, uh, so it's difficult to lean into it. Yeah. But I think that's the only way you're going to make progress, right? Yeah. I think there is like something, I think it's, um, to your point, like I think it's don't try to hide the feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't me- uh, self-medicate with if it is booze or cigarettes or whatever. I yeah. think there is like a point where like be kind to yourself if right now I'm sad and I want to do these uh, understandably destructive things or if it is just sleep a lot or eat shitty food because yeah. in this moment I'm gonna that's I'm gonna allow myself time to heal and then I'm going to enter the world if that's like how you can feel feelings as long as you are cognizant of that yeah because I think sometimes it's also like that's also creates a cycle too like I'm sad I'm not working out but right. now I'm beating myself up for being sad and not working out or right. whatever that might be. So I think just like a lot of it, just trying to be nice to yourself. Also like, you know, what you're talking about, like love yourself now. Yeah. Even if you're sad and something's wrong, just be kind to yourself. Yeah. Cause you'll make everything a lot better in the long run. Yeah. I think journaling is really good. Yeah. It's cause I think sometimes when people first, especially in this day and age with social media and the, pressure to constantly put out something and share Mm -hmm. over share I don't this is just my opinion and I'm not criticizing people who do this but just coming from a perspective of what would be best in healing Mm -hmm. yourself I personally am not sure that it is the most beneficial to share your sadness publicly you know in like posts or whatever Mm -hmm. Because that relies on other people validating you. Yeah. Which is just setting yourself up for more sadness. And people just can't... That's like sadness with a goal. Yes. Yeah. And it's like... I think it's good to share with friends if you have a close friend. And share with that person like in person, talking like people. Yeah. And share with a therapist. And then otherwise, I think writing in a journal you just get so much out and you feel so much better but when you post like on instagram or facebook about 
you know, your sadness, I think most of the time you're setting yourself up to not be received perhaps in the best way. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that it's a good idea. On the other hand, I think sometimes people feel better when they find a community of people to support them. Yeah. So it's tricky. I, th- I agree with you implicitly because I think it's a little bit like I'm being an opportunistic sad vampire. Yeah. I just like putting this out into the world uh, for like kind of weird ulterior motives. But the other thing, I think it is like doing this. I think the thing that has been really interesting is like how many people have just written and been like, oh, this one story from somebody just like meant the world to me because it just yeah. made me feel like not alone. Yeah. But I don't And know. I do think like podcasts and stuff are different. Like, people are listening to this, but it's two people talking. Yeah. Whereas when you do just, like, a blank post Mm -hmm. on Facebook or Instagram, it's into the nothingness. Yes. And sometimes, you know, I shared my implant story in that way, but I shared it after really coming completely full circle, and I was above it, and I felt empowered again. And then I made the choice to share it in order to perhaps help and inspire people who were in the same position that I was in. Yeah. And I don't know. What I think the difference there is like you had been able to process it. Were you done processing? Probably not. You'll probably process it for the rest of your life to some degree. Yeah. But you weren't like so in in the in the trenches. Yeah. And I think like sharing that, like, okay, I have some level of uh, a public persona so like putting that out there like you know like hey yeah. even someone who maybe is in an aspirational place still has a lot of bullshit in their life yeah like you know you're not alone in these struggles yeah yeah and just to be clear again I'm not criticizing people who post publicly I'm just saying in order the goal is to make yourself yeah. better and I'm not sure that that is always the best way I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I also think it's like, to my other point, like sometimes if that feels good, maybe yeah. try not to moralize it, but then you need to like just, it's, it's all a distraction. Like sometimes the best thing is just to sit yeah. and feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It is a distraction from everything uncomfortable. is Everything we do is like whenever we have any sort of discomfort, if it's anger or whatever, we're just trying to not feel that. We're trying yeah. to, if it is booze or if it's social media or yeah. if it's just hanging out with friends to ignore that. Yeah. But like, I mean, that's so much Buddhist or yoga. They could just sit. Yeah. Just be still. And it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Well, despite uh, your first memory being incredibly traumatic and uh, <laughs> a, a very uh, um, a challenging grandmother yeah. and uh, an abusive home, you seem very healthy. You seem Thanks. very well adjusted. No, I, I am, but I did a lot of work. Yeah, and that's the key. Yeah. I usually ask, like, towards the end of these things, like, what is your advice? But it seems like the thing we keep on coming back to is just, like, the self-care and, like, working through shit on your own. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should be in therapy. Yeah. Even if you had a great home. Sometimes yeah. you think you had a great home, and then you find out that, not that you didn't have a great home, but there are still things that you could work on. Yeah, we can all be better. We're all still wet clay. Yeah. Don't let it, Don't let it harden. No. Yeah. That's nice. I just pictured that. <laughs> well, thank you, my dear. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks for taking time, and thanks yeah. for uh, lending a dog to sit in my lap while we did this. Yeah, truly our lap dogs. Yeah, I appreciate it. I see evidence of you and Well, there you have it, gang. That's it. That's the end of the first episode of a brand new season. Ah, thank you so much for listening, for coming back, for going on this adventure with me big thank you to Andre Vermeulen uh, for being so delightful and so insightful for welcoming me into your home and talking about, you know, stuff that's just super easy to talk about. You're great. Thank you. Uh, if you want to continue to see what's happening with Andre, you can check her out on the, uh, the social medias. Uh, you check her out on Twitter. It's at uh, Dre Andre. That's at D-R-E-A-N-D-R-E-E. Uh, she's the same handle on Instagram. Thank you again, Andre. I really appreciate it. Uh, some other thank yous to Julia Pod and Kingdom Flying Club for art and music. A special thank you to Hayden Fongheiser for doing all the things I'm incapable of doing. Uh, a big thank you to the king, my dog, the wiener dog, Duncan, who's sitting beside me quietly now and not barking at the leaf blower that's happening outside. Uh, he's a real mensch for that. And uh, the biggest thank you for always uh, goes to you guys for being uh, patient and kind, for being some of the better people on this, this, this little globe. Uh, you guys are fucking rad and just so, so attractive. I love you all. I hope you have a great week. Mwah.